Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Pet Food Institute's President and CEO, Dana Brooks, as well as Senior Vice President of Public Policy, Betsy Flores. Welcome to the podcast, Dana and Betsy. Thanks, Lindsay. It's great to be here. Great to uh, be a part of your podcast. If you work with the Pet Food Institute at all, I'm sure their names are familiar, but just in case, here's some background. Dana has over 30 years of experience across the food and agriculture industries. Prior to joining PFI, she was the Senior Director of Government Relations at Lando Lakes, where she focused on state governments and industry relations at the Arden Hills, Minnesota headquarters. Her resume also includes Director of Government Relations for Elanco Animal Health, Senior Vice President of Government Relations at the National Milk Producers Federation, and Director of Public Policy at the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dana earned her bachelor's degree in agriculture from the University of Arkansas Monticello and a master's degree in agribusiness from Kansas State University. She was awarded the Alumni Merit Award at her undergrad alma mater in 2008, was an Arkansas State University Agriculture Outstanding Alumnus in 2018, and she is currently serving as an industry advisor for the Kansas State Master of Agribusiness program. Betsy guides PFI's legislative, regulatory, trade, and market access strategies and manages the association's government relations and regulatory staff. Prior to joining PFI, she served as the Director of Research and Promotion Programs for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Agricultural Marketing Service, where she was responsible for directing and managing the full range of activities for oversight of six checkoff programs for the Livestock and Poultry Program. She also worked as a deputy director in the Office of Agricultural Affairs at the United States Trade Representative, where she was involved in issues such as biotechnology, new technologies, the WTO sanitary and phytosanitary agreement, and technical barriers to trade. Betsy first joined the public sector in 2014 while serving as deputy chief of staff in the animal division at the USDA's Plant Health Inspection Service Veterinary Services. Prior to that, she was Vice President of Animal Care at the National Milk Producers Federation, where she represented and advocated for dairy producers on regulatory issues impacting the U.S. dairy industry in front of federal and global officials. Betsy holds a master's degree from Johns Hopkins University and a bachelor's degree from the State University of West Georgia. The Pet Food Institute and its members, who make the vast majority of all U.S. pet food and treat products, are committed to helping dogs and cats live long and healthy lives. As the voice of the U.S. pet food makers for more than 60 years, the Institute provides factual information about pet food and treat safety, nutrition, and health to pet lovers, and advocates for a transparent, science-based regulatory environment for its members. Decades of experience in the agriculture and pet spaces, as well as their industry advocacy, make Dana and Betsy the perfect people to answer today's question. What is the current state of the pet food supply chain and what can we do about it? We are obviously going to have a lot to cover. This is a big issue right now in the industry, so I am going to dive right in. What are the biggest pain points right now when it comes to supply chain challenges in the pet food industry? Lindsay, the list is long, but we will hit the highlights of that. I can say that every node in the supply chain is a challenge right now. But when we really dive into the main factors, transportation, employment, definitely are a challenge for the industry. But what we're hearing the most about right now is being able to source ingredients. 
obviously that's critical to pet food makers. What we have seen, though, is that during the pandemic, the supply chain being disrupted from every aspect to also having a competition in an unusual place, and that's renewable diesel. So we're having to compete with renewable diesel or energy to be able to source our ingredients. And that's something we have not experienced and adds a layer of complexity to our purchasing and procuring of products. Let's talk a little bit more about the renewable diesel thing. What are the complications around that and how is it playing into what is already a complex situation? Sure. Happy to answer that question because what we see is a challenge to the fact that renewable diesel doesn't just take products that would really, what you could say, renewable or waste and turn it into energy. It's using food stock. It's using ingredients that are used in human and animal food, from soybean oil to fats and oils and tallows from animal fats. That's where this is a bit different than other renewable sources. And that creates imbalance for us in the marketplace. We recognize if we were competing one-to-one in the market on ingredients, then we're willing to pay more. But what the situation with renewable diesel is, is also incentivized and their mandates from Congress and the administration. So we're competing against the government, so to speak, rather than also in the market. And when we hear about this, even reports from Nielsen and other economists around the country, we hear that it may take more than 50 million acres to meet the production requirement for renewable diesel in the next few years. I have to say, there's not 50 million acres of arable land for soybean production. So that just kind of tells you the imbalance of supply and demand that we are experiencing that will impact edible oils, again, for human and for pets. Was this something that was already starting to be on your radar as an issue and it's just gotten more complex with all the supply chain issues we're having already? Or is this something that just the timing, it came along at the same time as all of this and now it's all a mess? All of that. (laughs) I think it for me, it certainly came as a surprise. And our member companies recognize that there could be a challenge. But when we saw ingredients again during that troubling time in the supply chain in the pandemic, and then the reality of how much feedstock this would take to support the renewable diesel was mind blowing. And it concerns me that there wasn't a reality check in lawmakers to see what they were going to, you know, by increasing this capacity in the next two to three years. We've only had one renewable facility come online this year. We've seen unprecedented pricing in soybean oil and other ingredients that go into both human and animal food. So, That's one facility. We have four more online to come in by 2024. And it's just unsettling and surprising. And we are really stressed and concerned about where this is going to put us as an industry in that competition for product. Or it's not even just about the competition for the product. It will be the availability of the product that's very much in question at this point. So this is something that was already going to be a thing, and now it's even more of a thing because there are just the traditional supply chain problems that you would have at this stage of the game when everything is so complex. 
What are you seeing in terms of short-term solutions that are being enacted by the industry right now to try to mitigate any of the problems being caused by the supply chain, the transportation issues, the ingredient issues, the fact that packaging isn't coming in the way it should? It really is hitting every single aspect of pet food. So what are some of the short-term solutions you're seeing so that the industry for now can continue with business as usual while we figure out some longer-term solutions? It's a struggle with the short-term solutions. You can't flip the switch on and off. But some of the things that we are doing at PFI, we're aligning with the Ag Transportation Coalition, and we supported pilot project to encourage younger potential truck drivers or transportation interest. And that there's a pilot program is to allow for students between the ages of 18 to 20 to ride along with an experienced driver to get spooled up on how to support the transportation sector. So that's something we really see that could help out across the sector. The other thing that we're doing specifically for pet food manufacturers and also human food is that we've started a campaign called Feed People and Pets First, where we're asking Congress and the administration to really take a look at this challenge and delay additional incentives or programs and mandates moving into the near future until we get that balance back in supply and demand. Give us a little time to catch up on some of the stocks for ingredients. That's the best we can do in short term, unfortunately. So it's certainly a challenge for us and borrowing any hard stop on the production of a renewable diesel, we're going to be just really struggling. So we're doing everything we can within our organization and joining forces with the Edible Foods Coalition as well, Edible Oils. So working with our human food companies as well. That's about all we can do right now and make our voices heard and be loud and proud as pet food makers to say what our challenges are, not to sit quietly in the corner now. I think it's good that we're partnering with the human food side because they're seeing the same kind of stuff. A lot of the struggles are the same. And once in a while, there's talk about eventually we're going to be competing with human food for supplies. And sometimes we already do. But with an issue that's this encompassing, I think it behooves us to partner with everybody who's in the same boat and try to come up with solutions because maybe the human side has resources we don't have, or maybe we have resources they don't have, or maybe if everybody's voices are together, it's big enough because things don't necessarily move quickly when the government gets involved. And I can see in the meantime, people still need to do business and people still need to get things done. So what are you supposed to do in the meantime? 100%, Lindsay. It's very important. I mean, we have to eat and we're very passionate about what we feed our pets as well. So our campaign, Feed People and Pets First, it definitely pulls at the heartstring, but the facts remain that we're challenged to source our ingredients and that's aligned with human food. And we don't want to have to compete with human food. We're really proud to be a part of the sustainability cycle of being able to use human food byproducts or some human food products that maybe just they're pieces and parts of plant and animal that we don't consume, but they're nutritious and they're very important parts of our animals' diets. So it's a really nice symbiotic relationship with our human food makers. And we really appreciate what they do to be good stewards. And we really appreciate the partnership that we have with them moving forward in this campaign and beyond. We've talked about short-term solutions and where we're at right now. 
how viable are these solutions in the medium to long term? And what do we need to be working towards? Because this is clearly not an issue that's going to get solved tomorrow. I'll take that one, Lindsay. Some of the other actions that we can take in the midterm is looking at the global supply of these fats and oils. Obviously, the war in Ukraine has caused even more tightening in that market. You have more people competing for the smaller piece of the pie, right? So one of the things that we're also asking the administration to do in our Feed People and Pets First campaign is to decrease the tariffs for some of these essential fats and oils for the human and pet food use. For example, the most favored nation tariff rate for soybean oil coming into the U.S. is 19.1%. So that adds quite a cost to needing to import those oils. And in 2021, the U.S., which historically is self-sufficient in soybean oil, actually imported $15.7 million worth of soybean oil to make up for the domestic shortfall. And the majority of that was in the second half of the year. So supplies definitely got tighter. This was prior to the war in Ukraine. I think you're going to see a lot of pet food makers trying to look for possible alternative or substitutes. For example, Ukraine is the largest sunflower oil exporter. And Europe uses a good supply of that. And now they might be looking for other substitutes. So again, that pie keeps shrinking. Without a change in U.S. policy, again, on the renewable diesel side, where we don't have to compete with them so much with the subsidized mandates for renewable diesel, if that continues and the policy doesn't change, then this trend will continue. I think you'll see more imports coming in at that higher price. So some relief that the administration could give would be to lower those tariffs. So that is another thing that we're, we're asking for. What role is diversification of supply playing right now? Because obviously, with all the ingredients that producers are trying to get, they are having to go places they might not normally go if their normal supplier is in a shortfall. When it's happening all over the world, and there are short supplies everywhere, how does that work in reality? On paper, you can make it look neat and say, okay, here's the plan. But in reality, is it a free for all? Are there backup plans for this kind of thing? Or are we sort of in, if not uncharted waters, then waters we haven't been in in quite a while? I think it's just a very challenging environment for the pet food makers. I mean, they have to have internal strategies on how they source their ingredients. It comes down to relationships with their ingredient suppliers. We just encourage them, you know, make sure you're talking with them, not just about your immediate needs, but also looking into the future. It's going to take a lot of looking out into futures contracts. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. But yeah, I mean, the reality is is there are going to be these challenges. You're going to be competing a lot more for these ingredients. And as Dana said, with these renewable plants coming on in the future, there may not even be any supply to compete for. Having a plan on what substitutes could be within the regulatory space for pet food, sometimes making those substitutions are not an easy thing. There's process steps that have to take place, both at the federal and the state level, just even for domestic supply, much less you're exporting the product. A lot of moving parts. It's incredibly challenging and stressful. um, And we understand that for the industry at this time. And we're trying our best with our campaign and talking to the administration and the Congress to, as Dana said, they need to know that this is a problem and that they can help be at least part of the solution by taking some action. And I'll add, Lindsay, that we've certainly notified our stakeholders that we see this challenge. As you said, I mean, it's global. This is not just a U.S. challenge. This is a global supply demand concern. 
So we've notified like FDA CVM, the Center for Veterinary Medicine that has oversight of pet food regulation, that we see this challenge, making them aware of that. And we ask them to be nimble and work with us and be a partner with us as maybe we have to do some substitution of ingredients. We may be expanding our, our label deck notifying AFCO, the Association of Feed Control Officials that also do state regulatory body for us, that again, we may have to change. We're, we're going to do the research that we need to do to probably make some product changes. It is going to look a bit different out there. And there may be even where we see companies making product for what the ingredients they can source instead of having the choices that we've enjoyed in the United States when we go into the marketplace to purchase different products. We could see a change in that. We could see maybe fewer products, but I can assure you our pet food makers still make food safety and nutrition and complete and balance their priority, but it could require some nimbleness by the U.S. government and state governments to help us during this challenging time. Absolutely. I have already decided to not be in the least surprised if I'm in the grocery store, if I'm at the pet store and some of the brands look different or some of the products look different. I think that what you said about the choice we enjoy in the U.S. in particular I've lived overseas and it's not nearly as broad. There really isn't anywhere else where there is an entire aisle of peanut butter brands. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get an entire aisle devoted to different brands of a single product anywhere else in the world. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out as we have to potentially reduce choice for a little while as a survival strategy, which I think is one of the strategies that a lot of companies are already looking into, particularly, as you said, looking at the ingredients they can access and seeing what formulations work with that. Or maybe they were going to launch something that had a novel ingredient or an ingredient that is now difficult to find and maybe putting that on the back burner for a little bit. There are so many moving parts, so many different agencies how can the pet food industry work together to keep everything flowing as smoothly as possible? If you had your way, if you could get everyone in a room and say, guys, we need to work together right now, what does that landscape look like? Well, with Betsy and her team in the public policy space, we're advocating on our website to contact members of Congress. As a former congressional staffer, sometimes it's the law of large numbers. You've got to be heard. We cannot acquiesce or be quiet about the challenge. So if I could get everyone in the room that even has a pet or has interest in pet food to notify their member of Congress to say, hey, we've got to feed people and pets first, then let's look at what we can do with renewables, renewable diesel. That would be my number one ask right now. What do you think companies should do in terms of consumer awareness? Because getting the message out, I think that broadly, people are aware that there is something going on. They can see it for themselves on store shelves. And the supply chain is a topic in mainstream news where normally it's more of a specialized thing. But communication for the pet food industry is always a focus and always something of a challenge. What do you think is the best method right now for pet food companies 
to be transparent, especially if they end up having to make formulation changes, especially if, like you said, the ingredient decks get a little bit longer, formulations have to change for a bit. What's the balance between transparency and doing business? Because there's always a little bit of a veil, but as we lean more towards transparency in general as an industry, what kind of opportunities are there right now to really connect with consumers? I think, you know, with social media, there's a lot of conversation about not being able to find a specific product. I think the companies, one of the things they're doing is more customer service and being able to recommend a product that is comparable or compatible to what their pet currently eats. And just sharing that we understand that you have a specific brand or a product that you've used, and we want to make sure that you get that same product. And Lindsay, I think we talked about the fact that consumers really appreciate when you also recommend, we don't have this, but we know there's another trusted product and another brand for right now, it's okay. And as you know, then that consumer has more confidence that you care about their pet, that you're saying, hey, we may not have this right now, but we know this other company or other brand has something. Please use that or make that recommendation. And you're more likely to come back to that trusted product. That means so much when you see that coming from a company to say, we care enough about your pet to also recommend another product or another brand. I think we're going to see that. I know PFI member companies really work together. There's a time for competition, and then there's a time to prioritize the need for those pets and the pet owners. And I, I think we're going to see a lot more coming together for that as well. I agree. I think that would be a very good strategy. I know it goes against a lot of business strategy, but if you look at it from, we're all consumers as well. And if you look at it from a consumer point of view, mm -hmm. I know I am more likely to maintain my relationship with a business if they care about what I'm doing and what I'm looking for enough to send me somewhere else. That's not something I'm going to forget. Mm -hmm. And then within the industry, we all need to make it through this the situation that is happening right now. We're not entirely certain how long it's going to be or how much more complex it's going to get, but coming together really feels like a solid message to be sending out right now to make sure that we get through whatever this is. And hopefully other industries are doing the same thing and kind of coming together to try to figure out what really needs to get done right now so that we can get through this. Because I think that's where we're at. Lindsay, no better words spoken. Thank you so much for saying that message from your perspective. And I mean, it's unprecedented time. I have to say, this is one of the biggest challenges that the pet food industry has faced. And we're not alone. We know that. But we have a responsibility to feed pets so they live longer, healthier lives. And we don't take that lightly. Well, I think that is a great message to wrap up on. I want to thank you both so much for your insights. Obviously, all of this is a significant issue and it's very complex. And I think it really helps to try to stay on top of the issue, if not ahead of it, and just really make sure we as an industry know what we're doing and what our options are. Before we go, I want to do a little plug. Where can people contact you and learn more about the Pet Food Institute and especially what you're up to with regards to supply chain advocacy right now? 
Sure. Well, I would encourage everybody to go to the Pet Food Institute website, which is very easy to remember, petfoodinstitute.org. And you can learn about our advocacy campaign, Feed People and Pets First, where you can easily go in and just type in your location and your name, and um, you will be able to zip off some information to Congress and encourage them to take the actions that we spoke of today. That would be fantastic if we can get a lot of the industry to take that action. Thank you guys so much. That's it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 